You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to the Gastroenteritis Blues live on Locker Room again. Uh, my name is Steve Lippman. I am with, as always, em- Emily Cannell and Dan Volpone. Uh, Emily, as someone who is at Game 2, uh, what was it like in the building overall? It was insane. It was very loud and just so fun. And I think I just screamed for, and it like, an extended period of time just like just <laughs> screaming like not even saying words just screams so it was great did it get tense in there because how the we'll obviously talk about that game but how it started Sixers got out to a giant lead and then the second quarter the Hawks made a run and it was a two-point game at halftime did the te- did the crowd feel tense uh as we came to ha- ha- halftime there um, there were some boos, but I don't ever think it really felt tense. I just think that the enthusiasm and the excitement from those like prolonged runs that they went on, I think it like carried through. And everyone, I, I got the sense that everyone was just like generally confident, and it was like we're not going to lose this game. So like, do what you want, but it's not going to matter. And that was ultimately what happened. Yeah. Um, Dan, how was your viewing experience? What did you think of the game overall? And, uh, yeah, how do you feel about the series uh, as it stands today, 1-1? Yeah, I mean, it, it was kind of weird. It did feel like like a win. Like, the Hawks cut it to two at half and went on, you know, a little run to bring it back after the Sixers were up, I think, more than 10 in the first half. But it still kind of felt like the Sixers were controlling the game. It was not super stressful for some reason. Um, so I guess that's my experience was similar to Emily's in that way. Um, but I thought that it was, I thought that it was a, a, obviously like a must win game and I still feel confident the Sixers win the series, although it's important that they, you know, take care of business in Atlanta. I think, you know, hopefully they do better than split, but at, they at least obviously need to win one. Yeah. Um, I felt great. I mean, Joel looked incredible. Um, you know, they changed up a lot of things. Have to credit Doc Rivers, who we, of course, criticized after game one because he had a really bad game. And I think that he responded in the right way. Um, you know, he didn't put any all bench lineup out there. He had Ben Simmons or Matisse Thibel, uh, or if you want to pronounce it wrong, Thibel. Um, He had one of them on Trey Young at all times. Emily, what did you think of the adjustments um, that Doc made and 
you know, is there a way that you think Atlanta is going to counter them in some way? I like the adjustments. I think they were the adjustments that we were all calling for, um, mainly Matisse and Ben on Trey Young. Um, and it seemed to work. It worked great. I really felt like, I mean, Trey didn't really have any, like, threes, especially unless they came late. But, like, definitely early in the game, it was just, like, he was he was shut down. Um, I'm sure Atlanta is going to try and make adjustments. But I don't – when it comes to, like, us playing defense on Trey Young, like, I don't know how they can adjust themselves out of that. Like, I don't think they can adjust themselves out of Ben covering Trey. So – uh, good luck to them on that. Hope they don't succeed. And I, I liked how we played. I liked, uh, I liked Doc's lineups. Yeah. So we had uh, Trey Young played 38 minutes. He was six for 16 from the field, one for seven from three. Uh, he turned the ball over four times. Uh, they just did a much, much better job on him. Boy, anytime Danny Green gets near him, uh, Trey scores the ball. It's like he just cannot wait for Danny Green to be in his vicinity. Um, but that that was pretty limited um, out there. So I was impressed with that. Dan, what did you think about the adjustments and, uh, you know, what, what happened with Trey and how you think Atlanta might counter for game three? Yeah, I mean, it was kind of what we hoped to see with, with, with you know, Ben and Matisse being on Trey Young. I'm glad Doc didn't stick with his, his comments about not wanting Ben on Trey Young too much because he might get in foul trouble. We said at the time that was kind of silly. Um I, I think that Atlanta's probably going to try to run some some pick and roll action to force you know the Sixers to switch Ben off of Trey. Um, I'm not sure what the Sixers will do in response to that. I mean, I'm sure they they basically run a lot of pick and rolls anyway. So um, with, with Trey, so I, I don't I don't know exactly you know what they can do. I think Trey will play better. Just you know, Ben gives guys a tough time, but but Trey's a better player than he was last game anyway. So that'll be a big part of it for Atlanta is just he needs to be a little bit better. And I, I don't expect him to get shut down for three more games. I think that that's even as good of, of perimeter defenders as the Sixers have. I don't think that he's going to be as bad as he was in game two, but it's still, you know, a lot better than having Danny Green on to have your, your better defenders on Trey. Yeah. I mean, as a team, I think they defended him much better too. Like I thought the bigs played a lot better against Trey pick and rolls. They were up higher. Uh, which you need to do. Um, and, you know, speaking of the bigs, Joel Embiid, he went 13 of 25, 2 of 5 from 3, uh, 12 of 16 from the free throw line, 13 rebounds, 40 points, uh, a block, two steals. He was unbelievable. I mean, he was, like, obviously very good, especially stat-wise uh, in game one, but I thought he was, on both ends of the court, just incredible in this game, uh, game two. Dan, was that your takeaway as well from Joel and like Clint Capella, who by all accounts is a really good player and very good defender who had a great year, just cannot do a thing on Joel. So what did you think of Joel's performance? Yeah. Capella made a comment. He was like, Oh, it's fun. Like I like the challenge. (laughs) Can't be that much fun, but yeah, Joel's been great. I mean, he's, he's scored 39 and 40 in this series. So I don't even know what else you could ask. He's played good defense and there have been games. I mean, Historically, throughout his career, I guess his career is not that long, but Capella was mostly in Houston, and so the Sixers, you know, were were playing Houston only twice a year, which means Joel and Capella were only matched up at most twice a year, depending on injuries. And 
Um, that's obviously not a big sample to work with, but Capella had done a pretty good job on Embiid in the past. Like he's strong and he's active, and those are the kind of guys that kind of kind of used to frustrate Joel, I think. Um, and then it, you know, it became a little bit of just being Marcus Soul who could stop him. But <laughs> it's good to see him, you know, especially against a guy who's defended him well before, just be unstoppable because I think that's really like if you look at what the Sixers need to do to win with this group, to win with a team around Joel, Joel has to be a guy who, you know, there can't be like, oh, let's put this guy on him or let's defend him this way. And he's always been that guy in the past. He was young. He was obviously going to get better. But um, he's, you know, clearly made a leap and it's sustained into the playoffs where he's unstoppable really no matter what anyone tries to do. Uh, from our buddy Jackson Frank, these are Joel's playoff shooting splits. Uh, 82% at the rim, 56% from mid-range, 43% from three, uh, 86% at the line, 71% true shooting percentage. Emily, what was it like watching Joel's performance live? Uh, were you chanting MVP? Were you chanting uh, Trey is balding? What sort of chants were you doing? And... Are you a chant starter? Do you like to try to create your own adventure and make your own chant up? How did it go? So I did. I was a big MVP chanter. Um, I don't like to start my own chants. Jordy always tries to start chants. Sometimes he's successful. Sometimes he's not. Um, But he likes to start them. But they're not weird, like, chants. He just, like, will start, like, an MVP chant, and then people Mm -hmm. will catch on. Um, I I don't get in on Trey as balding. Um, that one's not that fun for me. Hmm. I like to chant in support of my team versus like against the other team. I'm a big mm-hmm. rep. You suck chant though. I'm sure that's my, that's my favorite. Sure. Um, and in regards to like Joel's play and chance, my, what my main thing to do is every time he takes a shot and it goes in, I just like laugh uncontrollably because like <laughs> not believe what I'm seeing and how good he is and how blessed I am to get to watch him play basketball. It's pretty amazing. Um, Let's talk about some of the things. Uh, Atlanta, in this game, meanwhile, Solomon Hill starts for them. And in this game, he only played eight minutes. Gallinari and Kevin Herter came off the bench and they were just unbelievable. I mean, Gallinari only ended up seven to 15 from the floor. Herter went eight for 10. And I do not remember the two misses. Those guys are great. Do you think that one of the adjustments that is coming is one of those guys getting elected into the starting lineup in favor of Hill? Dan, what do you think of that? Well, I think Hill got hurt, right? So, Oh, I I don't know. I believe he got hurt in the first quarter. So that would probably depend on health. But um, I, I don't know. I think Atlanta is, at this point, has to be basically happy with what they're getting from those guys. And they're going to play 25, 35 minutes off the bench. I'm not sure how much it even matters if they're in the starting yeah. lineup. Um, I know they, they probably want to have shooters in all their lineups. They have Bogdanovich starting. Um, I would probably put one of them in there. But, yeah, I mean, they were the only they were the only pluses on the team. They were a combined, you know, Herder and Gallinari were a combined 8 for 14 from 3. And, it, and, yeah, I mean, it did feel every part of it. And part of it is that, Trey's getting so much attention that the Sixers are often leaving shooters. Uh, and even if, I mean, Trey had 11 assists 
And I think he had over 10 assists the previous game. But even when he's not getting assists, it's still a lot of offense created from him. Um, and I think that's something that kind of goes overlooked that he that he creates. Like, you know, he didn't have his best scoring night. He was only 6 of 16 for 21 points. But they're running everything through him. and, and doing He's a great a, a passer. Pretty, yeah. Uh, he is. And, and, and he's so – he's quick and he's annoying. And, and basically – a lot of those guys, and the Sixers did a better job of of not giving up so many open threes. And part of it is because they defended Trey Young better. Um, but he, but he's 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 getting a lot of shots for those guys. But I will say, this is a little bit off topic, but every time Trey Young takes a step back three, it's such a win for the defense. I totally agree. Like, what is he doing? Well, you know, he has he can make a few of those shots from deep range and and you know, House of Highlights puts him out there. But as a as a person who wants the defense to do a good job on him, I'd much prefer that than to see him get into the lane where he can hit a floater or throw a lob. Like he's not accurate enough from out there for me to be super scared. He's not, of him. Lillard. He's not what? He's not Lillard. Like he's not shooting no. those at a high percentage. They're bad shots. Right. Steph and Dame, you basically have to guard them out there very, you know, tightly because they can hit those at a really reasonable rate. But I haven't really – of course, we're saying this and he's going to hit eight of them on Monday but uh, or on Friday. Um, can't believe we're 15 minutes into this and we have not yet talked about Shake. So the first half, no Sixers bench player does anything good at all. Um, everything goes terribly. Even though they don't do the all-bench lineup, they do Tobias plus bench. The Sixers do not have a bench point in the first half. And I think at the half, Atlanta had 32 bench points. Um, in the second half, in the third quarter, Doc goes to our guy, Shake, who we said last week, do not play him because it is not going well for Shake. I pleaded with Doc to not do it. Zainab, Emily, we all agreed. Let's not put Shake in. He came in and he just hit some hilarious shots. He uh, he, he hit a buzzer beater at the end of the third quarter that was like a 30 footer um he just looked so instantly confident after he made that first three uh he was a little jumpy on the defensive end lou williams got him a few times on a pump fake i didn't care because he was so great i feel like that's really where the sixers won the game is when they put in shake and uh shakes line he played 14 minutes five of eight from the floor four of five from three 14 points a plus 15 uh emily how are you feeling when shake entered the game and then what was it like to see, I'm sure, Shake like the. Yeah, when Shake came in the game, I literally said, I said out loud, oh, no, what are they doing? They should put it. Don't do this. Don't put him <laughs> in. Um, I mean, I say these things out loud. No one's really listening to me <laughs> at the game, but I say them out loud nonetheless. Right. And then, um, yeah, the crowd just went crazy when he started hitting these shots. I think that despite what Doc Rivers might say, the Philadelphia basketball fans watched pretty closely and they were aware that Shake was struggling. So to see him go off like that, I think everyone was really, really into it. I screamed he's back a lot. Um, every time mm-hmm. he hit a, hit a three, it's really a wonder I had a voice the next day. And Yeah, were you hoarse? No, which was weird. I was just hungover. Wow. But... Um, yeah, it was so fun. And I do think that's really where they just like the game got away from Atlanta and there was no coming back. Um, once Shake went on his like 
little incredible run there. So, and the best was the uh, the Dwight shake and Joel celebrating them. That was oh the, my god, the sweetest thing. It was unbelievable. You know, so it's this big sequence. Shake is hitting shots, and then uh, Dwight hits what I think should have been an and one. They didn't give him the call, um, and he, you know, Atlanta calls timeout, and Joel is just screaming and hyping up uh, Shake and Dwight, and I just really, really loved it. Um, it was the best. Uh, from Kyle Newbeck, he said, this is from post game. Doc Rivers said, Shake Milton came back last night and played one-on-one at the facility to stay ready for the game and this playoff run. The player and the coach uh, spoke today pregame, and he made sure that Milton knew that this is a long playoff run, and it turned out to be an important conversation. Uh, Dan, what did you think of Shake and the, the renaissance of Shake? And, um, I imagine we're going to see him, you know, be take that role on off the bench in game three. What'd you think? Yeah. I mean, he's so much fun to watch when he's on and he'd been so off for so long. It was nice to see him to see him finally really play well, um, at least offensively. Um, he's been dreadful on both ends of the floor, um, but he had a really great offensive game and he, yeah, he was a plus 15 uh, team high. Um that I agree that the, that the game changed when he came in. He played 14 minutes, and uh, Maxi only played five. So I I think it's possible that we see some more shake going forward. Um, I think after that you have to at least put him in for game three and and give him those minutes. But it, it's kind of weird because if he keeps us up, great. If he's on and off, then it's you know a little bit. You know, you're not going to know what to expect from him, and 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 Maxi has been fairly consistent. Um, and you know, I was listening to actually, I think it was uh, Jackson Frank and Daniel Olinger were doing a locker room, and they were talking about, you know, the Sixers generally. I think it was Dan saying this, like they play, they're slow. You know, like like they're 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 slow. They play through Embiid, takes his time. Tobias is like not a quick decision maker. Right. Um, and Maxi's just quick, and he's he's going fast the entire time, and it's a, a big change of pace when he's in. So as good as Shake is, and Shake's you know when he's on is an incredible shooter, you know you don't quite get that that speed from him. But that said, if he's you know going to be hot from three, Shake needs to play. So I do expect him to play more in Game Three. I'm not sure what happens after that. It probably depends on if he plays well again. Yeah, I think that that's going to be a night-to-night thing between Shake and Maxi. I think that, you know, whoever's playing well is going to play, and, and I don't think either of them have played well enough for long enough to just have that job, no question jazz. Um, in the second half, uh, it was much improved uh, halves from Dwight Howard and from George Hill. Uh, also wanted to make sure we said that. Also, the uh, Sixers, some of the other starters, Seth Curry, Played 29 minutes, 8 for 13, 5 of 6 from 3. He had a bunch of threes in the first half. Danny Green has had a tough series. Danny Green was 2 for 6, 1 for 5 from 3, taking some real pull-up threes, um, which are not fun. And it seems that the fans are not loving Danny, and this might not be a great series for Danny. Uh, Kyle Newbeck also tweeted this during the game, and Emily, I need your first-hand account of this. Danny Green and Dwight Howard are passing the ball back and forth and putting on a small show during the timeout, with the crowd cheering every time Dwight touches it and booing every time Danny touches it. Emily, this sounds mean. What was it like? That does sound mean, but I also don't recall that. 
Well, do you remember this hangover you mentioned? Because there (laughs) might be an issue. I don't remember this. Like, passing game in the timeout. It could have (laughs) been... I just, it seems like something I would like pay attention to. Like I pay attention to the fact that Tyrese Maxey Mouseworth's a national anthem. I like to pick up on these little things. So it's like very shocking that I did not notice this. Yes. Yes. I think that, uh, that's, uh, and Emily, what do you think of Danny in the series? Do you think, I mean, do you want to make any sort of change in the starting lineup? I, I sort of would keep things as they are. Um, uh, you know, do you think that, Danny should basically uh, fade out of the, you know, uh, the front here for a while. What do you think of Danny in the series? No, I would tend to keep things the same. I, he's not, Danny Green's been playing long enough and shooting long enough that, I mean, we all know that shooters, you know, they go through slumps and they go ahead. There's peaks and valleys there. And there's going to be a game where Danny's shot can't miss. And we're going to want him in that lineup. And to have the offense be not completely disrupted by reinserting him into a lineup if he has a hot hand and want him to take those shots and he'll have like 28 points one night. And I feel like it's almost inevitable that that's coming and I wouldn't want to have the the offense disrupted so that that night has trouble happening. I agree with you. I think that even when he's not hitting shots, he's still a solid two-way player. And the fact that he takes the shots that he takes is important for the offense. Um, Dan, he's your namesake. What do you think of Danny in this uh, series? Yeah, he struggled a bit. Um, and I mentioned the other day that I think that starting Cybo in his place wouldn't be a terrible decision. But I'm fine if 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 Danny's in the in the starting lineup. I don't think he's, you know, I don't think he's really hurting them in there. I think he's he's valuable. He's been he was their fourth best player this year. I think fairly comfortably. I think Seth has been better in the playoffs so far. Seth's been really good, but Danny was so important, especially second half of the season. Um, even, even I'll say the last three quarters of the season, you know, he got off to a slow start, uh, but was really, really good most of the year. Uh, I am not sure why he would have been getting booed. I think he's been really consistent and helpful for the team. Uh, here's a weird one. He had eight assists in that last What's going game. on there? Yeah, AU tweeted after the game, and I couldn't believe it. I remembered only one of them. It was when he poked the ball away and then had to save it because uh, the pass went, right. went long. That's really the only Danny Green assist that stands out to me from that game. But he had eight of them. Uh, so it sounds that, like a clerical error. Like it sounds like yeah. it's a mistake in the stat sheet. I don't know if that's a season high for him or what, but it's pretty funny. Um, he. He's he's a really good player. He he's had he's had a really really good year. Um, I I definitely he's not a guy I would boo. I think the shots will go down. Um, so I'm I'm not super concerned about Danny Green. Just don't. So put him I up. just yeah right. I just googled this and Danny's NBA regular season career high for assists is seven. Uh, I can't imagine that he's had more than seven in the playoffs. So I believe we saw a record breaking. Night for Danny on a night when he was being booed when he tossed the ball with Dwight Howard, which is quite a roller coaster for him, I'm sure. Um, with threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. 
It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ben Simmons uh, played, I thought, great defense uh, in this game. Uh, he had seven assists, two turnovers. Uh, he played 35 minutes. I He only had four points. He was two for three from the field. He missed both free throws. I was completely fine with this Ben game, really because the Sixers starting lineup when Ben was on the court or any lineups when Ben was on the court, they were scoring the ball great. You know, like I didn't need a ton of points from Ben because of how efficiently the score, the Sixers were scoring. Uh, Bodner tweeted after the game, the Sixers shot 55.4% as a team and averaged 126.8 points per 100% possessions with Simmons on the floor during that game. Uh, as Simmons locked down one of the most locked in offensive players in the playoffs. Yeah. So I, you know, uh, there's certainly, we always, you know, there's to talk about Ben or to not talk about Ben. I thought this was a totally fine Ben game and I really wasn't, didn't have a problem uh, with a low point total because of how well they were scoring. Emily, uh, do you think similarly, similarly about this? Yeah, I agree. I honestly, in this series, if, we can score the ball like we did, you know, last game. And I mean, even our point total from the first game wasn't great. The, I mean, wasn't bad. The Hawks just couldn't miss. And Ben can just be focused on like keeping Trey contained. Like I'm fine with that. Like I don't, it's, it's, they're going to, the offense is going to work like it is, has been like, we don't need at the moment, like Ben to have a huge offensive output. We need him to have a huge defensive output. And so I'm fine if that's what he's focusing on and what he's doing. Dan, what do you think? Um, you know, obviously there likely will or, or, and has, and, and could come a time where we really need more points out of Ben and need him to be more offensively aggressive. But this didn't really seem like a game that I was worried about that. What did you think? I will abstain from talking about <laughs> A Ben game, I, I, I don't have it in me to, to keep thinking about every game and, you know, was this a good game or a bad game? And every game has good and bad from it. It, it, it I just, I, I think you know your rule of let's talk about it after the season and even more specifically after a Brooklyn series. If hopefully yeah. knock on wood, that's not the end of the season. Um, I will you know, be able to have plenty of thoughts at that point. Um, I, I, I don't want to do it every single game. And like, I, I, I think that it's, it's gotten to a point where the conversation is, is just people being mad and they're going to say he had a good game every single game or he had a bad game every single game, uh, which isn't really how I feel. I don't really feel either. Um, most games, right? Like, I, I think that, you know, guys have some good and some bad in in a lot of games in a lot of ways. And um, in general, I think that I'm fine with how he's played, but also I'm not fine with the basically complete lowering of expectations on the offensive end for one of your best players. But that's not something I'm going to be bringing up every game and, and, and going to, you know, relitigate every single time the Sixers play. Yeah. So I'm basically abstaining from it. So the only thing that I think is somewhat relevant 
for the remainder of the playoff series is that with like three and a half minutes left, Atlanta, who was down, I think, 15 points, went to the Hackabend thing. Ben shot two free throws, missed them both. And then after a timeout, Doc took Ben out until the game was under two minutes and put him back Right in. after he like, mocked the idea of it. Yes, mocked the idea of it in, against Washington. Um, I disagree with that strategy from Doc. I would leave him in there. Like, he's one of your best players. He's going to be more helpful than he is hurtful. If, like, the other team is sending one of your players, any of your players, to the free throw line every time, it's going to wind up being fairly efficient offense regardless. Um, I was confused by it. I mean, what do we think? Is this Has Doc changed his mind about this, or is it because the game was basically in hand and Doc didn't want to allow Atlanta any opportunity to, like, fuck with how the game was going and just wanted to basically get out of there? Uh, Dan, what do you think about that specific thing? Like, do you think that Doc changed his mind about, you know, what to do in a Hackabend situation? Or do you think it was really like just trying to sew up the win and keep the game going? Yeah, it's almost hard to say what's going through Doc's head because there's basically no way he's being honest to the public about how he feels about this, right? Like, we've kind of said, like, we're fine with him not publicly calling out Ben. Um, when, you know, not even calling out is not even the right term, but, you know, even like mentioning Criticizing in any way. Criticizing. Yeah. We hope he improves in this way. He never says anything yeah. like that, right? Which is not usually what you hear about a young star player, right? Like, basically any coach about their young star player is saying, well, next step, we'd like, we'd like to see him do this to take his next step. Doc really doesn't want to do that. It's kind of weird, but I'm fine with it. I, I'm sure that there's accountability on the inside. Um so well, I think one possibility is that Doc is basically just sick of it. And he's like, well, the game's out of reach anyway. Um, I don't want to deal with the game dragging on another mm-hmm. 15 minutes because they're going to foul Ben six times in the next one. Right, and I get that, yeah. So, him out. He might be you know, a little bit frustrated that Ben missed the first two. Uh, I still think it's a bad strategy to do the hack of Ben, and I would leave him in as well. But I think with the game out of hand, it might have been one of those two things or a combination of both. It's hard to say, though, because, uh, that you know, Doc really won't say anything about it publicly, uh, especially anything related to Ben. But it is very funny that after he said, you know, and was and, you know, we we kind of disagreed about it on here. But in my view, was like, you know, a little bit snippy and didn't handle mm. it in the best way was, you know, you know, saying, oh, well, what what do, what do, you know, the media and the Philly fans want me to do? Sit him for the first 46 minutes, like straw manning, <laughs> saying, like, you know, never play Ben. And then he actually took Ben out. I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, I didn't see, did, I, did I, you I, guys see anybody ask after the game uh, about this specific thing? Because I would be interested to hear his answer. Did you guys see that? I didn't see anything about it, but I saw a couple people who are probably not media members because it might be maybe something they didn't want to say. Um, but I saw a few people like former Liberty Ballers people. I'm trying to remember who it was. It might've been Sean O'Connor. Mm-hmm. No, actually, you know who it was? It was, I think Sean Kennedy tweeted it. Um, okay. Saying basically, you know, pointing pointing out that it was funny that doc, you know, immediately after doing this, you know, maybe, you know, just a few days later is now, is now going to pull him at this time. And the game was out of hand and I would, Personally, like we said, we would all leave Ben in, but yeah. it was very weird that that's how it happened. Yeah, Emily, 
uh, I know that I think we're on the same page about just leave him in. Um, uh, what did you think about Doc's decision to do that? And do you think it was basically just a product of the game being basically out of reach so long as nothing wild happened? Yeah, I think that probably honestly is the reason. Like, let's not like drag this game out. Let's not, mm-hmm. God forbid, you know, we play Hackaben and there is a stupid foul and Ben actually gets hurt. Like Mm -hmm. that would be awful. So just take him out, let the game progress, let the clock run out and, and let it be what it is. But yeah, I'm with you guys like in an actual, like, cause like in this situation, it didn't really matter. Like I, it wasn't, I guess they could have tried to hack Ben and get back into the game, but I don't think that was, Doc's reasoning for taking him out was to like prevent that from happening. I think it was more like let's keep the game moving. But in a situation where it would be a better strategy to like actually win the game or get more possessions or whatever the goal is, I would just leave him in and let him play through it. So I don't know if that like strategically makes sense or logically, but that's what I would do. Yeah. Um, so moving on from this game, um, a few things. The NBA awards have uh, a lot of them have been announced. Nikola Jokic won MVP. Joel Embiid was second with only one first place vote, and uh, Rudy Gobert won Defensive Player of the Year. Ben Simmons was second. Ben got, I believe, fifteen first place votes, uh, sixty-seven second place votes. Uh, Matisse Thybulle and Joel Embiid were also on the ballot for Defensive Player of the Year. Emily, what what is your really your reaction to you know these awards? They're probably about how we figured they would end up, um, but what do you think about the way they actually? Um, yeah, it's what we expected. Um, I really want to know, like, don't they normally release like the actual votes and like who voted for what? I like, think they the do. People? Because I'm really interested in like who voted Joel Embiid fifth, like that is what I want to know. And he, I think he was left um, off of a couple ballots entirely. Like that is just bizarro stuff to me. And I want to know who those people are so I cannot take anything they say with any credibility in the future. Um, but yeah, it's how we expected they would turn out. I think it's really impressive that of the 12 NBA players, that got votes for defensive player of the year. Three of them were on the Sixers. Um, Mm -hmm. That's really impressive. Um, We probably, we all always assumed that like Ben and Joe would get votes, but that Matisse got. So it's, I think is really telling of you know, his defensive skill, especially coming off the bench. Um, The thing that's really going to suck is when Joe is on like second team, all NBA and, I don't, I can't even handle that. We know it's going to happen, but it's just insane. And that's going to be what sucks because. That will drive me crazy. That will legit drive me crazy if that happens. It's going to happen. He's got, he's, (sighs) and it's going to be so stupid. And I can live with the, the defensive player of the year and going to Rudy. Although I do hope that people start valuing perimeter defense more than just like rim protection um it makes i mean i would rather watch a perimeter defender than a rim like a rim protector because i just think you're more active it's like kind of more fun defense get the steals you get the fast breaks that stuff is fun and i i don't think that it's valued as much in defensive player of the year so i kind of hope that starts to change 
Um, I'm kind of rambling and all over the place, but <laughs> I went from like all defensive teams and all NBA teams to perimeter defense. But yeah, I think that um, it's yeah. tough. I think it's tough because it's hard to quantify a really good perimeter defender, and it's really not hard to quantify a really good rim protector like Gobert is and they sort of build everything they do on defense around him being so good at that so that's a hard award for a perimeter guy to win um and I wanted to include Joel said after the game uh I'm not worried about the those awards if and when I'm holding that trophy nothing else will matter uh Dan any other reactions to uh you know the Sixers having two guys end up in second place uh for their respective awards yeah, I mean, I probably would have voted the same way as the vote he ended up going. I would have voted for for Jokic and Gobert. I think with Gobert, uh, a lot of it has, has been kind of reduced to, you know, perimeter versus interior defense. I think even if you write all that off, and I'm, I'll write off all of the, you know, advanced stats that no one knows what they mean and are are basically, you know, somewhat meaningless in the sense that like it's not like a computer decided oh these are important there's a, a person decided this is how the stats will be quantified it doesn't to me it doesn't mean anything anything huge but i don't need advanced stats to see that you know i can look at defensive rating of of their teams um the Sixers were second in the league and the jazz were the third best defense in the league they were decimals away um and as as was mentioned, the Sixers have Joel Embiid, the Sixers have Matisse Thybul, the Sixers also have you know Danny Green and and just a, a really good defensive unit. Um, the Jazz are basically a, a good amount of guys who are not doing much at all on defense, funneling everything at Rudy, and still were a top three defense in the league. I have no issue with him winning the award. I think he's very deserving. Um, it's sad to think that if Embiid had played more, he probably would have won. And I will also be furious when he gets put on the second team, which I'm sure he will. But I am fine with how the voting went, given how, you know, the season turned out. I still think Joel is the best um, the best big man in the league. I think he's kind of proven that in, in the playoffs so far. And ultimately, yeah, it's not the end of the world. Um, they'll have a shot at these awards again next year. Um, we all know how the media narratives get kind of twisted towards someone who almost won but didn't because everyone thinks maybe this is their year next year. So maybe this is the year we win. Mm-hmm. That they both win. Maybe next year's the year they both win. I mean, if the narrative's right and they play well again, who knows? So I don't think it's something to be too upset over, especially while we're in the middle of a playoff series. Um, Emily brought up in the chat that uh, Gene Segura just won the game for the Phillies. Mazel tov to Gene, who's a fan. Um, the only other thing I'll add about Gobert is that he gets absolutely washed by the two guys at his position that he would really need to guard. That's fun for me to think about. Um, I wanted to – oh, I wanted to shout out to our good friend of the podcast, Keith Pompey, who before game two uh, had reported that Ben Simmons would be guarding – Trey Young, so uh, good on you, Keith, and uh, well done. Keith's a good guy. Um, moving on to a couple things before we just get out of here. Uh, Daryl Morey somehow was fined 
you're not going to believe this. $75,000 for violating the league's anti-tampering rules because he tweeted a picture of another player on another team and said, join him. Um, really wild. We, we predicted, we had it first, that he's going to get fined for this. Uh, I think the tweet is still up. He just doesn't give a shit. Um, Emily, what, what's your reaction to uh, this, this tweet? Because I personally, I love just sort of the ballsy nature of it. And, you know, the money I think goes to charity. So it's a tax write off. What, what do you think of it? I just, I love it. I love the, I just, yeah, I love it. I think I've said it before. I love this like blatant, no fear of Adam Silver. I love this like, back ended ass backwards explanation of how this isn't tampering like that's not what I'm <laughs> saying like I think it's so funny and I Daryl knows what he's doing and I think that he knows that we love it and that's why he keeps doing it and I thank him for it oh he's a smart guy like there's no way that he like oh oh I'm, I didn't know that, that could be misconstrued that way like, <laughs> what's the other explanation um, Dan, I know that you're a big fan of this kind of stuff. Um, what did you think about Daryl getting fined? And uh, yeah, tell me your thoughts. I would have been mad if you didn't get fined, honestly. Like, I, I, <laughs> love I, I would have felt like, you know, like, is the NBA really buying this explanation? Like, I don't want, I don't want it to be swept under as like, oh, Daryl didn't mean it. Like, I want everyone to know, like, no, Daryl wants Steph. Daryl wants Steph to ask out. And, and demand a trade and he's going to put an offer together and try to get Steph. And that's why he said this and he was willing to take the fine because Steph is that good. And that's how I like to think of it. I like to think that's basically exactly what's happening. Um, I would love to, to have a shot at, at trading for Steph Curry uh, this summer. Uh, and I, I, I love it. I think the timing especially is, is funny. Like in the middle of a playoff run, right? Like, he just like does not care. Like he he could have this could have waited, you know. He 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 could have, you know, done some some other kind of tampering later, you know. That basically and and no one wants to think of it this way, but basically implies the Sixers' second best player w- would once again be be on the table if you take this as literal tampering because everyone knows that's basically the package for for Steph. Um, Daryl just doesn't care. I I think it's really funny and and it was extremely blatant like emily said the cover-up being nonsensical was even better um i i really enjoyed it and i and i look forward to seeing to seeing if we're you know if anything happens with this if you know maybe daryl knows something that steph is considering asking out um we have joelle's a close friend of steph's we have steph's literal brother on our team so I mean, I think, you know, and we're a contender, we would have to be up there on the list. Would we look into that if it happened? I, I'm so interested to see if anything comes of this. I, I thought it was so. Also, the tweet, the tweet is still up. And just the fact that his wording, he said, my goodness, folks, like you, you just are just my goodness, my goodness, folks. I just meant like, oh, I'm just a guy with a Twitter account. What are you doing? Talking about the fact that we are all thrilled S. Scott Curry is here with the Sixers. Nothing else, folks. Oh, I just happened to leave. Just happened to leave Steph's Instagram in the in the screenshot mm-hmm. I posted. Silly well, he folks. had no access to pictures of Seth. Otherwise, that's the only way he could get one of Seth's pictures. Is they don't Steph's just give Instagram. Them. No, 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 no. Um, 
The uh, oh, and also I will bring up that I believe this is the second time this year that Daryl has gotten one of these fines because during the Harden uh, trade stuff, he his what he called like an auto tweet. It was like an anniversary of when he traded for James Harden the first time. Very clearly not an accident. Uh, so I, I really don't think any of this is a, a mistake. Um, finally, I'm going to ask you guys. This is one of our patented uh, quiz questions. Uh, if you actually know the answer to this, I ask that you abstain. Uh, um, the question is, who said this on Twitter in the Sixers universe? Trusting the process wasn't always easy, but as Sam Hinkie famously said, there are no shortcuts to the top, <laughs> only the middle. Um, Dan, do you know this? I do, and I saw who so it was. Did I. Emily? I know the answer. Ah, well, that's only for the listener. If you're scoring at home, the answer to that would be Scott O'Neill who was always on the right side of history from the very beginning and remains very close friends with Sam Hinkie. Uh, coming up next, game three, Friday uh, in Atlanta. Um, looking forward to it. Um, do we think we get a Sixers win uh, uh, in game three? Personally, I think they're, they're just about to, you know, win the next three games and, uh, and that'll be it. Uh, Emily, what do you think about game three? Yeah, I definitely think they win game three. I'm, I tend to agree with you. I kind of just think game one was like a weird outlier game. I think it was a wake up call. I think I just, I'm, I've never been afraid of this Hawks team. And yeah, I still say Sixers and five. Yeah. Dan, what about you, buddy? Yeah, I think the Sixers win game three, but I'm a little bit more. 50-50 50-50 on this game than you guys are. I would not be surprised at all if the Hawks won the game. It's their first home game uh, of the series. And, you know, with that being 1-1 and the Hawks, you know, I think that none of us are are concerned about this series. But the Hawks definitely have some momentum and, you know, 100% believe they can win this series. And their fans do, too. Um, I mean, as as they should, they they're you know they just won a series and they're one one here with home court advantage. So um, I still am co- confident the Sixers win. I think they win in in five or six still. But um, no, I, I I would not be surprised at all if the Hawks won. I, just, I I'll pick the Sixers because I think they're just the better team, and you know I I'll pick them to win the game. Hawks were uh, very good during the regular season at home. They were 25 and 11, which I believe is the tied for the third best home record uh, in the East behind the Nets and then the Sixers. Um, good stuff. Good to talk to you both. We'll be back with a regular episode on Sunday or Monday. Um, and yeah, that's it. Anything else from you guys before we get out of here? Are you going to hang up on us again? Dan, I do like to hang up on especially you. Emily, do you have anything to say? Um, no. Okay. Uh, Dan, meanwhile, how was your weekend? I know where this is going.